Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, welcome to the second part of our Formula One season review. This episode will focus on the drivers, specifically rating our top 10 drivers, or rather, I'll give you my top 10 and everyone will tell me why I'm wrong and we'll, uh, we'll try and... Uh, understand the strengths and weaknesses of the various performers during the year. I'm your host, Ed Stewart. Joining me first for this endeavour is Karun Chandok. And just as in the last episode, we are in your favourite pub. Yes, we are in the Royal Standards, sitting beneath some armoury, which uh, you know we could use for a bit of beheading of Stuart Codling in case his top ten does not agree with ours. By my troth, you shall not behead me. I'll be wearing one of these marvellous uh, caskets. Is that a bassinet, the uh, the middle one? I'm not sure. I'm just trying to identify some of these medieval armoury. We can put uh, it on Ed and see what happens. Yeah, That's exactly. A, I, don't think I'll, I don't think I'll fit. Uh, that, that voice you just heard was was, uh, was Stuart Codling, of course. I just say to, to Karina, if you particularly disagree with anyone, which weapon might you choose to... Uh, to show your... I would damage. use a sword. Ah, excellent, excellent. I thought you might say... I'd have thought you were more of a pike man because you could generate a you know, sharp thrusting motion to sort of uh, you know, incapacitate your enemy before you behead them with the, the sharp side. I could use both really on you right now. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd, I'd say a pike is a two-handed weapon, but um, yes, anyway. Moving on. And my final guest is Jonathan Noble. What's your weapon of choice? Sword. And rightly so. Well, uh, let's let's get on with things. Uh, as I said, this is the the driver review, so I am going to reveal my my top ten drivers. The obviously Autosport does this every year. Not the only ones to do it, but we've we've been doing it for quite a long time. Trying to rank the best ten performers always a an extremely difficult task. Everyone has a slightly different version. So let's go in at number one. A bit boring, you would say, but Lewis Hamilton. Now, does anyone like to issue a strong objection? Inarguable. Yeah, can't argue with that. 
No, not at all. I think the only, only point I would make on that is that I think it's been a year we've understood a lot more about kind of the work and effort and detail that Lewis Hamilton goes into to be at the top of the game. I think a lot of people just feel, oh, he's had the best car for six years. He's won five championships in it. It's been dead easy. It's all just all, you know, rolling into him. But, you know, it's not been like that at all. I think this season's been particularly difficult trying to, you know, get on top of the tyres, get on top of a, a tricky car at the start of the season. Um, and I remember in I went to Monaco um, short before the end of the season to the Gran Turismo World Finals and he spoke on stage for an hour there um, to the drivers asking about questions about you know how do you cope with strategy changes in races what do you do before races and all this and it was just tons of fascinating detail from him about documents he reads and the analysis he goes into of engineers and the settings changes he makes and um, the need to have a clear mind going into the race the need to prove um, you know his thing about proving engineers wrong and questioning every decision that's made um, so I think we finally understood a little bit that Lewis isn't just a you know a naturally quick driver who jumps in a car and wins in the quickest car. You know, there's an awful lot of work, a lot of detail, a lot of effort that you know he puts to fantastic use, and I think that fires him on to you know beat the up and coming drivers. I think we've seen brilliance from him in qualifying for many a year. You know, arguably the best qualifier we've seen in sports since Ayrton Senna. But I think this year the Sundays were were really really impressive you know i think back to barcelona faltry brilliant qualifying five six tenths i think it was ahead of of lewis and then on a sunday lewis just completely destroyed him same in 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 russia you know the ferrari is clearly the quickest car and lewis you know the great drivers win the races that the car shouldn't and russia was one of them he was there keeping the pressure on lap after lap that consistency and that comes from the work ethic, I think, that goes on in between. He he works really hard with the engineers to get a car that that they can put together to deliver the strategy and their plan, even on a day where they may not have the fastest package. And and Silverstone as well, when you know yes. the team, the strategy. He was questioning the team strategy. He said we can make these tires last. You know, questioning it and questioning it, and he he won that argument and won the race. So you know, a driver. It's all well and good questioning the team and getting it wrong, but you know, at his level, battling the front, questioning the team, getting it right and winning the race was, you know, just perfect. It's a very boring thing to say, but he executes well, doesn't he? You know, he, he, he ten out of ten pretty much every time. Uh, nine or eight, eight, nine or ten for most of your driver ratings this year, hasn't he been Ed? Yeah, a lot of them. Tens are very hard to get though. Very, very because you well, you, you mark people down on the slightest thing, but Well but ten it, ten has to be absolutely exceptional yeah. and, and arduous, otherwise it's devalued. His his qualifying performances have been good. You know, he may not have scored as as many poles as perhaps in previous years, but how often have you seen him have to take a moment after a qualifying lap? He sort of crouches by the car uh, to gather himself, and he's he's obviously squeezed himself dry over the course of Q three to deliver a lap, and and he's clearly put so much into it that he doesn't have enough in reserve to speak to Paul Duresta or whoever is is performing the the interviews, and he, he has to take a moment, and that that to me really has brought it home how much of himself he invests in his performance. I think between you, you've kind of summarised my my reasons. This was a very different season to the twenty eighteen campaign where he had some of those storming drives, Monza, for example. Stands out where he defeated both Ferraris in battle. There wasn't quite so much of that this year, although there were some great drives like Monaco on the medium tyres holding off for Stappen. I know it's Monaco, but even so, an attack did come. He managed to weather it. There was some contact, so it's impressive. You know, Paul Ricard isn't talked about, but he was absolutely at the top of his game there. Mexico was super. And 
it's very, very easy to say, well, the Mercedes wasn't always the best car on uh, on Saturday, but it had race pace. And when you've got race pace, yeah, you can, uh, you can come through to win. But that word execute, you have to execute the strategy well, the race well. And getting track position is not necessarily a trivial thing. Just because the performance potential of the car says you should, plenty of drivers don't. I think that's what... That's what stood out about him. That's the point you made, John, about all the effort he goes into. He's always talked about improving weaknesses. And I think this year was one that showcased all the things that don't really show up to the naked eye, if you like. When you watch his onboard laps, as, as we often do on the Skypad, and you, you look at his thumbs, how busy they are. You know, he's changing Schumacher the brake balance. Isn't it? Yeah, changing brake balance, brake migration. Um, you know, and the diff, he's playing with it all the way around the lap. And they, they, you know, that doesn't happen just on feel. You know, that's before the lap. He's already worked out, okay, for this corner, I need to do this, 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 and this. And, and, you know, he's building the picture through the weekend to that crescendo for Q3. And he's, he's got this mental clarity to go, right, when I approach spoon curve, this is the migration map I want. This is the brake balance. This is the diff I want. You know, he's got it all there for when he commits to the corner. And that that's, doesn't happen by accident. That's prep. Yeah, and also having the capacity to do that while driving at 100%. And also to understand, you know, you can have the different diff settings through multiple stages of the corner, which will change what the car's doing. So it's, you know, all the drivers have to deal with this to a greater or lesser extent. But what I think Hamilton does is, like all the great drivers, he makes a very good car better. Because the driver is the point that everything has to go through it's the conduit the, the thing that that brings the car together shall we say and that that which is achieved by his capacity and the way he works with the team is, is what delivers yeah he, i think and he pointed out in this um uh chat in monaco that you know he watches all on boards of every other driver and exactly what they're up to and he says um beyond the ferrari drivers doing something strange behind their wheel no other drivers are you know changing stuff and manipulating stuff as much as him so he's he's well aware of what's needed and you know the ability to talk about going to practice and then he thinks well, I'll, I'll try this solution and you know I'll try solution a b c for a lap or a different thing and he kind of works and improves and hones it so you get to saturday he knows exactly where he's at so is no one going to make a case for the driver who was my number two being number one then i i had max verstappen uh second place and there was a point in the season where i thought he might be able to be number one it's hard to argue against Max being number two. He was probably second on my list as well. I think the only black mark I could find against him was um, qualifying in Mexico, where he, you know, he saw a car on the barrier. You know it's going to be a yellow. You know you've got a lift. It doesn't matter whether you're in go-karts or Formula Ford or any category in the world. And that cost him a potential victory. And in a season where there weren't many opportunities for Red Bull Honda to score victories... That was one of them, and he let that slip. And the attitude that he hadn't actually done anything wrong, or that he didn't really care that he'd done something that was theoretically dangerous, just felt a little bit irresponsible and slightly sort of chippy. Well, he was fully in control of it, and and you know, but I think the rules are rule. Uh, but apart from that, stellar season, really, really brilliant. Although the second, I think the second half was as strong as the first half. I thought he was how tricky the car was in the first half. Clear team leader um, going on. I think we went into the Hungarian Grand Prix. You know, with the thinking that if he can win this race with the momentum that team had been building up, then you know there was a chance that you know he could be a dark horse of the championship. It didn't happen there because the lack of Gasly there allowed Lewis to to win that race. And we came to second half season and just the mistakes. You know, Spa going out on the first lap trying to take O Rouge 
nearly flat with a damaged car. Um, wasn't kind of ideal. Monza, another little incident on the, the first laps. So there are a few little niggles in that second half of the season where I think he wasn't quite as you know perfect as he was in the first half. But it was by far his best season in Formula One. Do you think that's impatience or still trying to chase the car? Well, I think I think that the problem is when you're trying when you're slightly on the back foot, you're then trying to push as a driver. You just try and push that little bit more to try and extract a bit. And sometimes you you, you go over the limit, and that's where the the difficulties come from. Try and try and take too much too soon. How do you think his mindset is affected by having a teammate who's not at his level? Do you think that's something that is useful to him or do you think he would actually benefit from having someone organized disciplined quick in the garage next door i think he would like to have daniel or carlos alongside him i think having someone who he would believe he's covered by a tenth or two but not four tenths so they're pushing the team forward and driving the team forward i think that's where he want to be um because i'm sure not having that second car that's that's right up there is detrimental to the whole team, you know, over the, over the course of the race weekend. Well, it's, it allowed Mercedes to snooker for Stafford and Rebel in Hungary, didn't it? Certainly made it uh, made it a lot easier. But I think the, the point John made about you know a few of those little errors, you know, like the Monza start. Okay, he was caught out, but equally, you know, that happens in in races at the start of Monza. I think at Spa there was a bit of impatience. Obviously, the damage was sustained with that move he made on Raikkonen. Legitimate move. But was it the percentage play or was it the move of someone who thought, oh, I don't want to be buying this Sauber or this Alfa Romeo even? I don't know whether he got the, the, the current team name right while he was thinking about it in his, uh, his anger. But just those little bits, you, when you just see that that old weakness just showing through, nothing like the level of mistakes of the previous year and a, and a strong season overall, but just a few little things that if he was in toe-to-toe combat with Hamilton for the World Championship might make the difference between winning and losing. So I think that's the the thing with Stappen. But he's ferociously fast. He buried his teammates in in qualifying. He's a great racer. His Austria drive after dropping to eighth on the first lap was absolutely scintillating. Interlagos passing Lewis Hamilton twice was was tremendous. Obviously Germany masked the wet conditions despite the the spin. So you know some virtuoso performances in there. And a bit like yourself, I listened to the team radio. You know during during the Grand Prix. And there's a calmness there, and there's a really good relationship between him and his engineer, uh, Giampiero Lembesi, GP, uh, where it's very reminiscent of the Rocky Sebastian Vettel relationship. It's almost like an elder brother sitting on the pit wall, sort of talking. It, it sounds something like he's talking down, but actually, there's a there's a great deal of mutual respect between them, and they get on like a house of fire. Um, and they, th- but when you listen to the calmness where Max talks about things and he's very analytical and he's he sees the picture of the strategy the race unfolding and stuff he uses two words sometimes where other drivers use 10 you know he's very succinct in the way he he communicates is is massively impressive for a guy in his early 20s you know he he's and that's the that's the part that you often forget and and it's you know when you speak to adrian or paul monet people like that you know it's it's they say that it's it's often easy to forget how young he is because he's a remarkable, remarkable young man in terms of maturity. Yeah, even in Abu Dhabi when he was struggling a bit with um, with, with the lag problem and, and, and problems with the brakes, um, he was told, you know, this is how it's going to be. You're going to have to put up with it. And the, the protests subsided and then stopped very quickly because he knew it was it was a waste of his effort to complain about something that couldn't be solved straight away. And I think that's a weakness still with Leclerc. We still hear the 
and we'll come on to Leclerc shortly, I'm sure. But that's the weakness we still see, you know, in, in Sochi, for example, going on and on, you know, about the team orders thing, saying, I repeat, I could have done this, blah, 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 you need to swap me, you know, all this stuff. It's like, look, team's got the message. You, you've got to... You've got to just keep those emotions in check. I think Max is getting this year. He showed like he's improved that that side a lot. Yeah, very much. So. And sometimes it's alright for drivers to vent a little bit, but then it needs just to just to stop, doesn't it? And it's just a waste of energy and mental bandwidth, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, you've got other things to uh, to concentrate on. Well, Charles Leclerc does come up next in my list in third place. Now you've all been agreeing with me far too much so far, but I think there will be some dissent on Charles Leclerc third. I'm going to disagree. Excellent. I'm going to go with Carlos Sainz as my third and Leclerc fourth. Okay, does anyone anyone else differ from those? Because we can't we can do Leclerc and Sainz in one go. No, I'd go three and four, but Leclerc three, Sainz four. Carlos, I'm 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 going to occupy the Jeremy Corbyn position and sit on the fence because actually I'm I'm tempted by Caroon's position because I've been very impressed by science this year and and based on our little preliminary discussion i think karun's going to win this uh this argument because go well, i just think leclerc ferociously fast real breakout scene for him you know big opportunity being at ferrari massive pressure for a young driver in his second season of f1 but there were a lot of errors you know baku monaco there, there were in, an in, you know an incident like Monaco where it's not really an incident, but he made a mistake in the first round of Q1, and you get the impression that if Max was sitting there, and he'd go, you know what, let's just not take the risk. It doesn't matter if we don't have another set of tires. I'll do it on a used set in Q2, or whatever. Let's get back out there. You know, you need that that sort of leadership role in some ways, and we, we saw errors from him in Germany. You know, where there's an opportunity to take a win. I think just across the season, there were there were a few too many errors. Brilliant highs. I, I, for me, probably my highlight of the season was seeing him soak up that pressure and win in Monza. It was absolutely exceptional, the drive he did in Monza with two Mercedes. You know, they were throwing everything at him that day, and he was exceptional. Um, but a few too many errors, and I, I think, for me, that's what puts him fourth behind the signs. I think, but I think it's quite hard to compare the the two situations, Sainz and Leclerc. And Leclerc stepped up to Ferrari, which is a tremendous responsibility. You know, the pressures involved for someone like that in your second season, going up against a um, champion like Sebastian Vettel. Um, where you're trying to, you know, establish control, establish yourself in the team, cope with that pressure, fighting at the front. You're battling Lewis Hamilton. You're battling Max Verstappen. It's a completely different world to. Uh, Carlos Sainz in you know best of the rest car who often had quite lonely races you were going around you're not really under tons and tons of pressure um, you haven't got Lewis Hamilton breathing down your neck you haven't got Max Verstappen breathing down your neck you don't have to worry you know if one term's going to make a difference between being on pole position and being in third and giving you no chance to win so I think there's slightly different scenarios so I think it's, un- so I think it's understandable Charles made mistakes and it's only his second season in Formula 1 uh, and I think any driver who is good quality and steps up to that and then has the confidence to make push the limit and make the mistakes rather than oh play it safe and guarantee no errors so I think it was a, a great season for Charles but he is only third because of those mistakes yeah I mean, don't, don't get me wrong I do think it was a, a stellar season for a, for a young guy as you said for all the above mentioned reasons it was it was a stellar season and I'd love to see if Ferrari can get their act together and stop collectively as a team and drivers making the error, I'd love to see him 
take on a championship challenge against Mercedes and Lewis and potentially Red Bull and Max for for the whole 22 races. I think John's reasonably well articulated my position. I think the challenge, the situation, Leclerc's a star emerging. He was cost races by Ferrari as well. Ferrari was at times a little bit of a chaotic place. He had a teammate in the other car as a four-times world champion who made far more and bigger errors and who he was quicker than for much of the season. So that's what, for me, the challenge of what Leclerc did and the, the kind of the intensity of competition that he faced is what gave him the edge. It was, a very, it was a very narrow call for me, though. I did think right to the end about having science third and Leclerc fourth, but it was just the, the nature of the front of the, of the field that, that made the difference. But I should say, I think science was tremendous this year, utterly dependable, consistent. He took a, a huge step this year. I think the biggest step of improvement he's made. Um, he was having a positive impact on McLaren from the moment he first tested the car in Abu Dhabi at the back end of last year. The team loved him. So, you know, formidable season from science. From a mainstream point of view, he's almost flown under the radar. There might be some people who think that we've rated him too highly, but it's kind of been the story of his year. Um, Abu Dhabi, he made that pass on the last lap to um, secure his spot in the championship and it wasn't shown on TV. And, and, all through the year, he has kind of pretty much flown under the radar. Yeah, very, very much so. And uh, yeah, strong season for both. You know, Leclerc star is born and science finally has got perhaps some stability in his career and can really be the man for McLaren for the coming years. Now, number five, I went for Valtteri Bottas. Strong season. Was sort of Hamilton's title rival, although never quite was, but bounced back massively. Yeah, he had he had some good highs, didn't he? You know, the, the race victories that he had in... Japan in particular, I thought he drove very well on the on the Sunday in quali. The Ferrari was a quicker car, but he outqualified Lewis on a on a proper driver circuit. The win in Melbourne sort of gave us all this false sense of expectation that he was going to take on the challenge all through the year. But there were, there were massive highs. Unfortunately, not enough for him to mount that championship challenge. He's just not as consistently good as Hamilton, and, and ultimately, who is? Yeah, he he feels like it feels to me like he's stepped his game up a gear this year, and Definitely. he has been more consistent. But still, at the same time, it, he he doesn't feel like someone who can sustain the high. The, the I wouldn't even call um, Lewis Hamilton's performance a peak. He basically has a very very high plateau, doesn't he? Lewis? It's a bit like uh, Schumacher Barrichello, two thousand two, two thousand four, isn't it? Where you know, there's the odd races where we'd suddenly see Rubens, you know, like in Austria or in Indianapolis or places like that, where he's suddenly there. But across the season, he's not. But without the mad sense of entitlement that Rubens had. I think what Valtteri has found out the hard way is also this, as we mentioned with Lewis earlier, the detail that Lewis is going into to, to find this performance and where these, when these tiny margins are made is in the extra two hours of work with the engineers or the extra two hours thinking through processes or changing settings or... Something. So I think Valtteri is having to, you know, go dig, deep, dig, dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the details to try to find the things that are going to make the difference and give him that um, ability to to beat Lewis. Because it's not just about, you know, one day my setup's better than yours or um, the talent. So you need to get the whole weekend absolutely spot on. And I think Valtteri still has a a bit of a weakness in overtaking other cars. Um, it's not as decisive, you know, in battles as Lewis is. And you know, these are the, the factors that suddenly you can go from being second on the road with, with good track position to being stuck in third place, losing the time, and then the win has all gone away from you. I think the thing that impressed me most with Bottas, which explains his high ranking, is it was the mental resilience and fortitude he showed not only to bounce back, but also to against one of the toughest possible teammates anyone could face. 
to do what he's done. He's not doing what you had to do, Crude, and take on Sakon Yamamoto or something. You know, <laughs> Ooh, he's up against an, abs- <laughs> an absolute first rater, and that is so hard when you've got someone in the other car who you know, even on a bad day, you're still on a very good day. To be able to, I think, pick yourself up. I thought he was shot at the end of last season. I didn't think he'd be able to pick himself up, but massively impressed that he has. So that message that he shouted on the radio in Melbourne, was that to you, you think? I'd like to think so, but <laughs> I I, uh, I doubt it. I think there are a few others uh, far more more in the queue. But I'm, I'm, it's great to see him, because I've always yep. rated Bottas, and, and I'm and really pleased to see him do well. And Austin as well, isn't he? You know, he was a punchy drive there. And well, what he did there was the thing he often doesn't do. How often do we see him with a tyre advantage and doesn't quite make it count for him? I know it, the offset was quite big, and it, so, but still, he delivered it. That's what Hamilton does all the time. Of a, of a Stappen can. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's not easy being against the best driver of your generation, um, but those are the cards he's been dealt with, and he's he's got one more opportunity, hasn't he, now that Ocon's gone off to Renault? He's got one more year before, I suspect, Ocon and George and all those people are going to be banging on Toto's year come, come mid-season. So, really, he's got half a season to, to stake his claim for 21. It's a sign of how much Lewis has upped his own game that even though Valtteri improved this season the Valtteri it's James moment actually happened earlier this season than it did last year we had it in Singapore you've forgotten they asked Valtteri to uh, <laughs> slow down and let him back in yeah they wanted him to hold up him and himself and Alban didn't they to, to help Lewis having extended his, uh, his stint but yeah I think Bottas very good he's a, he is a very good number two and he's probably a more, almost more than a number two there now but doing a doing a great job for, for them and the team really values the input he 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 makes and obviously they still remember the Rosberg Hamilton days where there's a certain amount of antagonism he's not antagonistic James Allison interviewed him about the drivers and he said Bottas doesn't make anything one iota more dramatic than it than it is and if anything de-escalates which I think a team loves so he's quite an important part of the the, the ambience and the attitude in in that team and yeah great great resilience to to bounce back because this is this is very very hard at this at this level number six I went for Daniel Ricciardo at Renault he was tricky to place. He's someone else who's made a lot of high-profile mistakes, uh, particularly in the first race of the year, trying to inexplicably driving the off the track at the start. Yeah, yeah. just um, throughout that, that was really, really impetuous. It was a manifestation of his being over-eager, I think. Yeah, but on the whole, though, I still I would I'd probably agree with that. I think he, you know, he outperformed Hulkenberg quite convincingly. He delivered those points races like. Silverstone, um, you know, races like Suzuka, which okay, ultimately they got disqualified, but he 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 bounced back from sometimes being further down the field to to delivering on a Sunday, and I think he showed that how much ever they've paid to get him, it was worth it because he's he's raised the 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 caliber of what's needed in the cockpit. I think what really stood out because if you look at the qualifying comparison between him and Nico, yeah, Ricardo had the advantage, but the average advantage it wasn't massive; it was less than half a tenth. But where Ricardo really paid the team back was with his Sunday performances. Yeah, Hulkenberg didn't once win Class B, the midfield battle over the year. Ricardo won it four times; should have won it at Silverstone without the safety car timing as well. And I think that classiness in executing a race, we talked about how good Hamilton is at that, and Ricardo's very, very good at this as well. Austin as well, wasn't it? Austin, Austin he, was drove, he drove a brilliant key, race. Key passes, yeah. He made some really bad strategies actually work, and I think yeah. he actually sort of saved the team some a lot of embarrassment throughout the course of this year. And ultimately, he 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 outclassed the driver in Nico Hülkenberg, who was very strong last year. And I know he's the, the golden boy at Renault now, the $25 million man, etc. But... Ricardo did that on merit as well, and 
yeah, I agree. There were mistakes, and that's why. But I sort of feel the first half of the season, he was lower than six. The second half of the season, he was higher than six, if you see what I mean. What do you think, John? You, you've got a very yeah, I think he's discussion. I think he's given a, a sense of belief to the team. that I think the, the value of a team having a driver in the car that they know is getting 100% out of the car um, can be tremendously important, especially you know when a team's having the roller coaster season it's had like Renault. So I think being able to feel the driver's totally dependable, uh, he's a great motivator, <clears throat> you know, never stopped smiling, believed in the team, you know, went into the details. He said he spoke to the aero teams trying to understand why the progress wasn't made this season and why things are going to be better next season. You know, he pushes on there. He came with the team radio after Abu Dhabi said, we will be better next year. He knows he can do a better job next year. Um, so I think that the value there, you know, you can question whether the, the multi-million dollar wage bill was worth it for results on track. But I think what he's brought to the team off track and where he can take it over the next 12 months probably does make it worth it. Yeah, so we're we're all agreeing far too far too much. Uh, for seventh place, I went for Sergio Perez. A bit of a a quiet season in many ways. Had a a long spell where the racing point wasn't a points threat, but strong in the second half of the season, the highest scoring midfielder, and just a season of really really high quality race drives. Yeah, like I said in part one of our season wrap podcast, he is someone who can be relied upon to extract what points the car is capable of on any given Sunday, which his teammate hasn't been able to do. I uh, I don't I, I'm on the fence about that one whether I put Norris above above Perez because as a, I thought as a rookie certainly in qualifying Norris Lando did a great job he's been a breath of fresh air outside the car which I know doesn't really matter in, in the rankings but it's it's good to see you think character in the paddock he on a Sunday has lagged behind Science which is where I'm sort of struggling to put because ultimately the points are paid on a Sunday and Perez was better on a Sunday. so I do think the Science-Norris points comparison is a bit of a distortion. I think Norris had a little bit more than his fair share of bad luck, looking, losing yes. fifth at Spa, for example. Although yeah. Science wasn't without misfortunes. Yeah, but I'm talking about between Perez and Norris in terms of, of where we where we rank them. Um, so I think ultimately I, could, I do have to agree with you because of Perez's second half of the season. I thought he, he really, really dragged the team along and scored a good chunk and there were great great drives even early on China Baku were outstanding Mexico was brilliant um, Abu Dhabi was was really really good a few mistakes Germany crashed out very very lucky to score points in Suzuka when he crashed out on the last lap only a timing glitch meant the race had already finished so that that was beneficial I know that was a collision with Gasly but I apportion a little bit more blame to, to Perez in that situation so not not flawless but did comfortably outperform Stroll in qualifying and was just a, a dependable midfield force my only reservation about him is that he's um he, he's always struck me as a driver in the sort of jean cut well i say always you know since racing point turned his career around and helped him smooth off some of the rough edges he, he struck me as a driver in the Giancarlo carlo mold that I, i'm not con- i'm not entirely convinced he would deliver in a top rank car but he's a good reliable smooth operator as it were in, in a midfield car and could be relied upon to bag the points that are there. There's nothing wrong with that. What do you think, John? Yeah, I mean, he's one of those, you know, total dark horse for seasons. There's nothing nothing spectacular, nothing sensational that you stand out as though this was the magic Sergio Perez moment, but consistent consistent throughout. Um, you know, often they're up in the points. A few mistakes, yep. I think Germany was the, the big one that got away, especially considering his teammate went on and nearly scored a podium um, due to that 
um, good timing of the the tire call, um, and it's the perfect fit for him. I think you know he hasn't shown quite enough to justify a place in the top three team. Um, so leading leading race point, I think that's that's why he's committed for the for the longer term. Um, dependable will keep delivering the points, uh, and we'll keep you know being around fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Yeah, he's just a, he's just a great driver to have in the midfield, and the midfield team really really served Racing Point well. Let's group the next couple of drivers because you've you've brought Norris in. Now I ranked George Russell eighth and Lando Norris ninth. So that's that's the battle for rookie of the year. Very very difficult against to decide between them. Now you've mentioned some of the strengths of Norris. I went with Russell just because I just felt his all round game. Even though he wasn't tested in the same way, he had a weaker teammate. He wasn't in a car that could race anyone. None of that's his fault. But he appeared, and it's harder to judge to to be doing quite a good job of getting what he could out of the car most of the time, improving himself, learning, contributing. The team love him. Really did seem to do do a good job, even though effectively Russell and Norris were almost in different championships. And and that's the problem is I d- I don't know really where how to rate George's season because the reference was so far away, you know he was so far ahead of Kubica who unfortunately just just couldn't deliver the season in terms of speed you know his qualifying pace was miles off George so really to me there's there's no real reference to to judge George's season which is why I put Lando ahead of him. Yeah, I mean. You know, Kubica, the return didn't work. So I think, you know, in a situation where George is, it's quite, I'm not saying easy to impress, but it's easier to impress in a situation where you're going up against a teammate who things aren't working for in a car that's at the back of the grid. So, you know, you can't really, you know, a sensational afternoon and a very good afternoon and a good afternoon deliver the same result. Um, He was good. You know, he adapted well. It was a great learning experience for him. But you know, I think you know somewhere like Lando, the pressures he's faced and the job he did against Carlos Sainz, even someone like Alex Albon, you know, to have gone from having never tested a Formula One car to be battling wheel to wheel at places like Spa, having dumped, been dumped in at Red Bull and outscoring, you know, Max for a certain portion of that second half of the season. You know, I think those are a different world and different pressures and different uh, ability to impress than when you're kind of left in your own world at the back of the grid. I suppose what what marked Russell's performance out for me and made me sort of side with Ed's point of view is that although he was in a the, there were fewer references for him because Kubica wasn't as strong um, there there were a lot of times where he remained fiercely self critical over tiny margins that would have been that are inco- inco- inconsequential in the grand scheme of things but if he at any point felt that he hadn't maximised the potential of, of the car. He was fiercely self-critical and and admitted it over the radio to the team, and and I think that helps galvanise the team behind him. There are also weekends where he was able to find things that Kubica didn't that really pushed the team forward. I think Hungary was one where he got the tyres to work. Yeah, he he got the tyres to work, and and that they actually felt they'd learned something that took the whole team forward that weekend. Um, Whereas if they'd had a weaker driver, they wouldn't have had that. And to have a driver in their first year demonstrating that sort of leadership, I think is pretty remarkable. Just to be a bit critical of Russell, his first laps were a bit weak. Uh, he finished 11 of them behind Kubica, which was uh, was disappointing. He desperately needs to work on that. But I think I agree with what you said, John, about it's harder to make... It's maybe easier to look good in the situation he's in, but it's also easier to just sort of fade and kind of rest on your laurels and just assume you don't have to do anything. So there's two ways of looking at it, but I, I do agree... 
these three drivers, Russell Norris, Alden, will go down as a very, very good rookie crop, I think. And yeah, th- I mean, but the three ca- of them were, were, were very difficult to separate. But they came in with good pedigree, didn't they? You know, the one, two, three in the Formula 2 championship and all doing impressive jobs in previous junior Formula careers. So I think we, we expected them to be good, strong rookies. If you look at this year's F2 championship, it's not been as strong. You know, I think it's obviously we've got Latifi taking over that seat of Williams next year. But on the whole, that that crop hasn't been as strong as as these three guys who came in. Yeah, very much so. For a formidable group. And it's it's just funny that Russell Norris and Albon, certainly once we got into the second half of the season, they were all in different bits. You had one in the one in class A, one in class B, one in class Z at the back in the uh, in the Williams. But I think it'll be very interesting to see how they come on next year. Norris as well is, is very self-critical and I think that'll stand him in good stead. And I think we'll see both Russell and Norris and Albon evolve next year, which is going to be uh, going to be fascinating. Now, Norris, uh, Albon rather, did just miss out on my top 10 in 11th place, which was annoying because in the end I had 11 drivers who I felt I had to be in the top 10. He gets free t- free tie choice for next year's top well, 10. Exactly, yeah, and, and, uh, exactly, yeah. He'll be, able to, he'll, he'll be able to come through strongly in, the, in next year. But that allowed space for Sebastian Vettel to nick 10th, which was very difficult. Vettel made some abominable errors this year, culminating in the idiotic move into Lagos which, when he just drove into Leclerc, and that was him just moving across on Leclerc. You know, Leclerc was trying to tow the party line and said, well, we both played our part, he moved over on me and I didn't get out of the way. And that's basically like saying, well, we were both responsible for this punch, he threw the punch, I didn't dodge it. You know, that that was inexcusable, hitting Verstappen at Silverstone, the error when he went off track in Canada while under pressure from Hamilton, Forget all the stuff about the stewarding decision. That was the key thing there, the fact Vettel made a mistake. Monza was the lowest one for me, where he just... You it know, was just what, awful, what wasn't was going it? on there? Yeah. And, and just suffering from red mist in general. And I think Monza was red mist. He made the mistake. He was so angry to rejoin, saying, oh, I didn't know there's a car there. What was it? It was early on in the race. You're up and he at, was fourth. You're up at the front when you went off. So, of course, there's going to be quite a few cars to come, to come past. However, he was at times quick. His back end of the season was much better. His, his pace like, over the last five or so races, him and Leclerc were a bit more nip and tuck in, in qualifying. He had his moments, Sochi first in, Suzuka qualifying lap. And given the intensity of competition up front, that was just enough for me to put him in. Just. And he won a race, didn't he? Which, uh, you know, he, he caught his own team by surprise by his pace on the outlap in Singapore. So he, he did win that race um, and almost stole it from Leclerc. He... As you say, qualifying's Austin, Brazil, you know, he was up there um, and he got better. So, yeah, ultimately, he sneaks in the top 10 because because there were enough highs, I suppose. But you got to say, you know, even including 2014, I think this was, this was one of his most disappointing seasons. Yeah, very, very much so. He didn't seem to react well to that. Do you think, John, we need to blame Ferrari a little bit for this treatment of Vettel? Or do you think it all lies uh, in Vettel's Because we know Red yeah. Bull got a lot out of keeping him calm and in the right zone. And Ferrari just seems, all through this time of Ferrari, seems to have got a bit over-emotional. I think the issue is more the the car he had underneath him. Uh, he's a driver who likes a, you know certain characteristics to come from the car. He wasn't comfortable with what the, how the car was at the start of the season. Um, and we saw in Singapore when, when things turned around, at a time when he was under tremendous pressure after Monza, everyone had written him off. People say, you're going to retire, is this the end of it all? And you know, delivered a, a sublime weekend and sure helped by the strategy um, call to win that one. But 
he was there, he was battling. Uh, and the fact he got under Leclerc's skin, the fact that Leclerc had to complain a few times on the radio, um, showed that Vettel was still a threat. And um, I think he also deserves to be the top 10 for the post-Canada strop as well, because I think that was... <laughs> he was it was fantastic, just brilliant, brilliant theatre of, uh, you know, moving the boards and um, stromping off and stuff. So, yeah, I think uh, I think he scrapes in because the highs were good enough to get into the top 10. But if he hadn't had those, then I think he would have fallen well well down. Do you have any opinion, Gullis? Uh I agree with John that the moment of theatre after Canada was very funny. All, all through the year, he has struck me as looking fragile and temperamental. And the, the first lap at Monza, you know, it, it was the sort of thing you expect a bunch of absolute gibbons in an unruly online Forza hopper to do on the first lap. It's, it's not becoming of a top-level racing driver. <laughs> I think the, one, the, the other big positive is, as you alluded to, John, with his performance in the back end of the season, it showed that he's not, he's not ready to give up. He's not ready to retire. He wants to reassert himself over Leclerc next year. Whether he can or not is another matter. But I do think Vettel is, when things are right, a wonderful driver. And I would like to see him back to that again, but this year wasn't uh, wasn't it. So we should talk about some of the people who didn't make it in. Um, you, you've Alex, written Daniel Kvyat twice in your know, outlist. He I, must have been particularly impressive. I don't know why I'll delete one of them. But yeah, I had Alex Albin just missing out on an 11th place. My reasoning there was basically that I was very impressed, but he did crash a bit too much. I'd like him to have been fractionally close to Verstappen on pace, with a caveat that it's his first season. But there were some great moments and great drives. The drive in Germany was absolutely brilliant and unfairly overshadowed by Kvyat getting the podium. Some very good performances just coming through the field with, with Red Bull. I, I like what he did and I think he's got a bright future but didn't quite do enough to get into the top 10. I think I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, you know, there were a few too many errors perhaps. to, to the, the problem with, with trying to put people in the top 10 is you've got to take somebody out and I'm not sure I would take anybody out of, of the guys we've just covered. So, yeah, P11 um, for Albon. Some of the highs seem to be really with Torosso rather than, than with the Red Bull. China Drive, German Grand Prix was really good. And I think some of that comes from both Pierre and Alex separately. You know, when I spoke with them during the second half of the year, told me that the Torosso is an easier car to drive. Ultimately, of course, the Red Bull's a quicker car, it's got more downforce, all the rest of it, but it's a trickier car to drive. And and I think for for drivers in their rookie season like Alex is, that maybe made it a bit trickier. And he, listen, he's up against Max, who I think we can all acknowledge is probably the pretender to Lewis's crown as the best of his generation, really. Yeah, I mean, I think Alex, I think considering, considering the lack of experience, it's not as if he'd tested for two years or had all these preparations and tons of FP1 appearances, as numerous people have, to have you know been dumped into your first F1 drive as a test, then a mechanical problem puts you in the barriers um, to bounce back. Then you're in tr- in thrown into the you know one of the most compact midfield battles we've had in recent years. So to have come through that, to have impressed... To then have the pressure of stepping up to Red Bull, going up against Max Verstappen, um, you know, I think he did as much as we could expect of him uh, at that stage. And yes, there is that single lap weakness, but you know, the Red Bull is a tricky car, as um, Karine says, and um, Gasly struggled far more with it. Although the, the, the gaps appear different, but in the races, you know, Alex was was great, and just such a shame that 
Brazil turn out the way it did because you know you should have finished second there, um, which would have been a, a phenomenal result. And I you know do wonder if he had half an eye on taking Max to that final safety car restart. It was a sink or swim year for him, and he certainly swam, didn't he? He's not going to beat the torpedo in a hundred meter final yet, but it, it was sort of quietly impressive. I'm, I, I still agree, not quite top ten material, but but, but decent. Does anyone want to make a case for any of the others? I mean, Nico Hulkenberg, Kimi Raikkonen, Daniel, you, Daniel Kvyat. You'd be abused on social media for not including Raikkonen. Well, I would say in the top based 10, on the so first, based on the first half of the season, I'd say Raikkonen and Kvyat would have both had a very, very good shot of being in the top ten. Second half of the season, only Pierre Gasly would have had a very good shot of being in the in the top ten. But it didn't over this whole season. It didn't quite quite work out. I think this is, goes back to the problem Karun mentioned that. In many other seasons, what they did this year would have been good enough to get into the top 10. But it's been such a high-quality uh, top 10 drivers, it's hard to work out who doesn't deserve a place in there. Mm. Which put, is why consistency is so important. Exactly. And I think, Kifiad, I don't know about you guys, but it's almost like he, he lost interest in the season, it seemed, as the year went on. Towards the back, it, you know, just you see the body language and you see, you know, see him around. It, it's, it's, ever since Gasly arrived... And it, I don't know if he thought he just would have had him covered, and then he didn't, and he just didn't seem to take the fight. It's like he lost lost the will to battle him. It just seemed to be in, in qualifying, Gasly comfortably had the upper hand over Kvyat. And watching the laps, Gasly seemed just to be a bit happier with the car on the edge. The you know the little bit of wheels for managing, just just holding it on the edge at the corners and feeding the power. Kvyat just seemed a little bit just to be sitting there, almost within the car. If you see what I mean. But what I'm trying to say is, when that would happen, he didn't seem bothered. That he'd been beaten. He by also Gasly. he also never used because you'd like to ask him, okay, well, where did the time go? And he never really gave a very satisfactory explanation. And it's not that he has to give a satisfactory explanation, but normally if you say to a driver, oh, "All right, you underachieved in qualifying, what went wrong?" They'll normally say, "Oh, well, this didn't go right, or this uh, the tires weren't right, or I didn't quite get it's right." But Kvyat just he didn't seem to want to explain it and didn't seem to understand it. I think you know we we in the press room we have the little running joke about the area we call the desk of underachievement, which is populated by people who, you know, they've got their pass and they're just pleased to be there. And and I kind of feel like um, Kvyat feels like job, his job was done getting back to F1, and then he really checked out after Germany where he got that podium. It was kind of like, well, you know, I'm back, and and he he, he just seemed to have kind of felt like he'd achieved all he needed to achieve, and and that's not really what you want from a driver. They're quite lucky, aren't they? The helmet hasn't got the production line like he used to ten years ago. Really, I mean, it's not yeah, those days when you. It's, it's not again, yeah. days when you were on the scheme. Well, this, I mean, that's the point, though, isn't it? I was, I was talking to Damon Hill about it um, last week and saying, you know, when I when I did GP two, we had myself, Poemi, Michael Amamuller, there, your Robert Wickens and Michaela Leshin in the other F two series at the time. You had Jev, Algasari, Daniel, um, you know, all hovering around Formula 3. You know, there was a massive production line of drivers coming through. And that's, that's not really there anymore. Um, and, and why they haven't looked at someone like Nick Cassidy, for example, and just said, look, give him the Abu Dhabi day. Let's see. He's got enough super license points. Let's give him a day and see he's what he can do. He's great things in Japan. Yeah, yeah that's driving. what I mean. And, you know, he's doing well in Super Formula. It's a good championship. Clearly, they think it's a good championship because they're putting their young drivers there. So why they wouldn't take the guy who's winning it and, and at least give him a test is, uh, it's a little bit Shows odd. a lack of confidence, doesn't it? And also, didn't help that Dan Tictum took himself out of the equation. Yeah, obviously, yeah, being, uh, being dropped well in, uh, in Super Formula. I mean, of the 
the drivers towards the bottom of my list, the two Haas drivers, A, they're very, very hard to judge. But B, they did find ways to drive into each other a few too many times. They are a bit inconsistent. I think I'm told that Gunther's season two in the uh, Netflix documentary is off the chart. <laughs> I'm very looking forward to this. That's yeah, going to be going for a while. Told Kevin's Kevin's told me about a particular meeting, the showdown meeting between the the drivers and Gunther in it. So I'm looking forward to um, that, and hopefully it's not beeped out. The the one the moment I just thought summed up Haas best is obviously Silverstone. Grosjean went back to running the Silverstone, uh, the Australian Grand Prix season starting spec, Magnussen the new spec. And on Saturday night, both drivers said, yeah, the really important thing tomorrow, we need the data from the race. So we need to do the race. They weren't going to be a threat for points in the race. So what do they do? They hit each other on the first lap and both retire. Well done. You know, that's just a point. It's like, well done to all involved. Well, it's just stupid, isn't it? It's, it's then they even, hit each other next race as well. It's even more stupid than Grosjean's inclusion of a recipe uh, cooking a fish on Papillot in his recipe book, where he specifies that it's cooked in foil rather than paper. And so, to just in my mind, that's I- idiotic. What, cooking in foil? The word on Papillot means in paper. Oh, yes, of course. So, yeah. And also, traditionally, when you cook something... On papillot, you cook it in paper. Cooking it in foil is just wrong. You do learn some things on this uh, on this podcast. So yeah, I, uh, Grosjean can be can be mega, and there he had his moments. Same same with Magnussen, but yeah, they weren't contenders for me. Antonio Giovinazzi showed decent pace, but nowhere near consistent enough, particularly on race day. Robert Kubica can't really be in there. Lance Stroll, likewise. I mean, Kubica was a great story, and I think considering everything, what he's done to come back and just to, and to be okay in F one. I think was impressive, really, really impressive. But you know, we have to accept that he is in very changed circumstances. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because back end of last season, when they announced it in Abu Dhabi, he didn't want anyone to treat him differently. He wanted to be treated the same as the other nineteen on the grid, and you know, went some way out of his way to point out there's no challenges and there's no there's no weaknesses or he doesn't believe there's going to be any weaknesses there. And then 12 months later in Abu Dhabi, the tone had had changed somewhat. And ultimately, occupying one of the seats in Formula 1 is is something that should be reserved for for drivers who are able to deliver week in, week out, and he just wasn't able to do it. He's come back. He's he's answered a lot of personal questions I think you do have to treat him slightly differently to everyone on the grid just because of the journey he's been on and what he's yes. had to do and I, and I hope that it it answers the questions that I he mean, needed look, answered we, yeah we would have all loved for it to work out wouldn't we because we love we, you know everyone loves Robert he's a great character and um, as a story as you say it would have been amazing well, but if, well if you remember we talked about it on the podcast didn't we a few years ago and Everyone was getting a bit carried away. I remember Ben Anderson being at the vanguard of the skeptics, and ultimately, oh, as he, always, ultimately he was proved he was proved right. I remember you had a bet with him, didn't you, on stage, uh, which I'm not sure was ever paid up on, but uh, <gasps> uh, but uh, probably not. Backsliding Banderson. It's, it's all right, but uh, I, I think I think Kareem probably lost the. Uh, but, but, uh, Backsliding but, uh, but, but, but anyway, uh, but it's all right. It's only Ben, so don't worry about that. But uh, I think everyone got carried away in the, and I think the question becomes too binary. People treated it as, can he drive an F1 car or can he not? Well, yes, he can drive an F1 car and better than, probably still better than, than most uh, most could. But as one of the 20, there's a reason why he was over half a second on average a lap behind George Russell. And it's a shame. He showed a little bit of uh, spirit, some good first laps. The old good pass pulled a nice pass on uh, 
Uh, Russell at Mexico, for example, also irritated the team with his approach. Didn't cover himself in glory. I think he had that old drive and determination that he used to have, but he didn't have the driving ability to back it up anymore. And that's not his fault. Of course he hasn't. And However, I think he's shown that he can do something in other categories, though. Maybe they have just slightly, slightly different demands. So I think we've all agreed on this podcast that I'm right. Uh, for As the most always. Part. Um, but it's uh, the main purpose of these top tens is to try and think about the, the seasons the drivers have had and understand a bit more about them. And it's always a, a fascinating challenge, particularly in that mid-group. Sort of 6th through to 15th is always really, really, really tight. So thanks very much, Karun Chandok, Jonathan Noble and Stuart Codling. And on a personal note, this is my final Autosport podcast as I am uh, moving on to... Uh, pastures new still be involved in covering formula one for various outlets but after 17 and a half years of autosport i have chosen to uh, to move on so it's been a great pleasure to put you through listening to me for the past few years the autosport podcast will continue in some form or other hopefully with a more competent eloquent and interesting host mm. <laughs> but we shall see who will be uh, chosen to replace me so thanks very much for joining us they'll be back soon with another autosport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.